Amen. Isn't it good to sing to the Lord? Amen. Well, I hope you'll take your Bible this morning and open it to the second chapter of the book of Titus. Again, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's some uh, on either right in front of you on the back of the pew in front of you or underneath, perhaps. Um, but I would really encourage you to get a, a Bible. If, if you can't find Titus, uh, every one of the Bibles has a table of contents in the front. It'll tell you what page to go to. Uh, but let's all look at God's Word together this morning. Ah, here we are. The title of the message today is Gospel Living Women with the subtitle, Women Who Make the Gospel Look Good. Now I need, to, I need, before getting into that, I need to go back and just add one small thing to last Sunday where we, where we saw what the scripture said to the, to the older men and to the younger men of the church. Uh, Gwen Gilbo, where are you, Gwen? There you are, Gwen. Gwen came up to me after the service last week and she said, well, you should have told the young ladies something. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, you should have told them that that's the kind of man they need to be looking for. <laughs> and I say amen to that. And th so thank you, Gwen. I sh she should have helped me write my sermon last week for that. That would have, that would have been good. I stand here in fear and trembling today. Janet's going to slip out in a few minutes and have the car running in the uh, parking lot. <laughs> but my prayer is today that we'll hear the word of God. Amen. And I want you to look at, I want to answer one question first before we get into what Paul, under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, what he said to Titus to teach to the women of the church. Before we look at that, I want to I want to jump to the bottom line of why Paul said these are the ways that the women of the church ought to live, uh, and we find that uh, in at the end of verse five, he says that the word of God may not be reviled. In other words, ladies. A first SF, this is what God is saying through the scripture for you to live so that that will bring no, the, the word revile there is in Greek is the word blaspheme, blaspheme, so that the word of God will not be blasphemed. So follow along as we read there. We're going to read just three verses beginning in verse three. Uh, verse one Paul says to Titus, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he begins to talk about what to teach. Verse three, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll help me today to teach your word and to be very clear what your word says, Lord. 
And I pray for these dear women of this church that they will receive your word, they will hear your word and believe it, and they will be doers of the word and not hearers only. Grant them the grace to receive what you say to them today, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps you're wondering, what qualifies me to teach on women? Well, number one, I know some. (laughs) Number two, I married one and I have four daughters. Lord help us. Four daughters that are all now grown and they're all strong women like their mother. So I have lots of observation. But the truth is that only qualifies me to give you my opinion on women, right? And what you ladies need today is not my opinion. The only thing you need is the word of God. And so we read from the word of God. If you're in Titus there, go back probably just one page in your Bible to 2 Timothy the last two ver- the next last verse of chapter 3 verse 16 of 2 Timothy all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness notice what it says it's talking about this book and what was written in this book is breathed out by God to the writers who wrote it down the way God wanted it written down and i believe that with all my heart my, my life as a pastor has been based on that truth. And, and so today when we come to the word of God, we're getting the very breath of God. We're getting what God has for us. And, and my, my goal today is very simple. It's taken from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, chapter 8, verse 8, where they brought the book of the law. Uh, and it says they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. They read from the book and they explained it so that the people understood it. That's my goal. That's my task. My task, not for anyone, whether it was last week with the men or this week with the ladies, my task is not to convict you of things in your life. That's God the Holy Spirit's role. Amen? That's not my role. That's God's role. I'm here to explain it so that we understand it. Um, and I thought about one thing. And men, you, you, you men wake back up now for just a second, okay? Because I, I want to I share something that's so simple. It's something that we taught through a ministry many, many years ago and for years taught our kids. And some of you may be familiar with this. But it's so simple and it's so applicable for us as adults, men and women who who are Christians before the law, before the Lord. Um, And the idea is what is the definition of obedience? Okay. And so here's what we teach the kids. Obedience is to do what God says, when God says, with a happy heart. Now, what does this represent? What God says? That's the Bible, right? We do what God says, when God says, with a happy heart. That's obedience. Any one of those three missing, it's not obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. 
but we do what the Lord tells us to do when he tells us to do it, and we do it with a happy, cheerful heart before him, a heart that wants to please him. So with that in mind, let's look at what Titus, what Paul told Titus to teach to the women. And like we did last week, and like it was last week, it's broken up into two groups, the older women and the younger women. And so I wanted, I wanted to define those groups for you as I did last week who the older men were and who the younger men were. Well, let's look at who the older women are and who the younger women are, okay? The older women would be every woman above the age of younger. (laughs) My mama didn't raise no dummy. (laughs) So ladies, you get to self-select today, okay? You, you assign yourself to the, to, the, to the group here, okay? But for those of you who are willing to admit it, and what my wife likes to say to women in the church is almost every woman in the church is older than somebody. So when it comes to teaching, as we're going to look at in just a moment, there's always the possibility for every woman in the church to be a teacher in that sense. Um, so what does he say? Let's just go through and look at the things. Older women, verse 3. They are to be reverent in behavior. Now, let me explain that word reverent because it was a very particular word that was used, the Greek word that was used in the Greek culture of that day that referred to the priestesses in the pagan temples. And what it meant when it was used to describe those priestesses, it was talking about the way they dressed and the way they acted. That was their behavior, okay? I think I said reverend. That was the word behavior. So it was a specific word that they understood that was used to describe these priestesses in the pagan temples of the way they dressed and the way they behaved. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that Christian women are to realize that the way they dress and act is to be done as a part of their service to the Lord, to be reverent in their behavior. And he's, I think he's making a contrast to those priestesses in the pagan temples, whatever it is they were doing. And I, I don't know what their dress or anything like that was. He's showing that a Christian woman's desire is a reverent, to reverence God, to reverence God in the way she acts, the way she lives. The next thing he says is don't, they're not to be slanderers. Now, that's an interesting word because the word literally in Greek is diabolos. You Spanish speakers will hear diablo. What does that mean? Devil. Now, the word was used and it literally, in in its use in the Greek language, it meant malicious gossips. And so what Paul is saying is tell the older women not to be malicious gossips. Gossips, oh my goodness. As a pastor, and this is not just older women, it can be anybody, but as a pastor, the scripture talks about this about everyone. We'll see that in just a second. As a pastor, I have seen gossip literally tear a church apart. Malicious gossip, slandering. In Proverbs 20, verse 19. The Bible says, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip. (laughs) Do not associate with a gossip. 
First Timothy 3.11, in describing women deacons, it says, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers. One of the ways that the last days are described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, diabolos, malicious gossips. In the last days that will be a mark of people. Paul is pleading here with the older women not to be that way. Another behavior that's goes along with that, that Paul goes on then to say is not to be slanderers or slaves to much wine. And it's interesting that being a malicious gossip and being a drunkard were common out of control behaviors that were associated with the pagan women of this Greco-Roman society. And so Paul is saying to the women, the older women here, The way you act, don't act like the pagan women of the world. Don't be a malicious gossip. Don't be addicted to much wine. Don't be a drunkard. Put that out of your life, he says. (coughs) And then he says, teach what is good. So you ladies who have self-identified as an older woman, you're to teach what is good. Now, There's one thing that's happening here that I think we need to note, and that is that Paul is very clearly giving Titus the instruction to transfer the role of teaching the younger women from himself to the older women of the church. He says, teach what is good and so train the young women. Now it's well, there's several possible reasons for that or several benefits of that. Number one, uh, if, if, a, if a, a young woman is uh, married, uh, that would reinforce the role of her husband as her spiritual leader in the home. Also, it was probably, we believe uh, all indications are that Titus was a young, we know he was young, but Titus was also single. And so Paul was probably protecting Titus in a sense and telling him to have the older women to teach the younger women. Obviously, the older women have more experience in the matters that were being taught in lifestyle and family. One of the things I've noticed as I've lived these almost 40 years as a pastor, when we started, we, Janet and I were young. She was a lot younger than I was, but we were young. And uh, what I've noticed through the years is how more and more and more younger women than her seek her out for counsel, for Christian biblical counsel. And not just her, but, but other godly women in the church. That's just a natural thing for the younger women to do. So he says, teach what is good. And so train the young women. Well, obviously, who are the young women? <laughs> Again, everyone under the age of older. Okay, so again, you're going to get to self-select today, uh, whether you're a younger woman or not. But I want you—I want you to see something here because there's a connection between what Paul is telling the older women to do and what he's going to be telling the younger women to do. Okay, 
And it's wrapped up in that word train. The older women, verse 4, are to train the younger women. It's a big, long Greek word, sophronidzosin. And what it literally means is to cause someone to be of sound mind and to get back to their senses. And it's this idea of training them in the way, not only, watch this, not only the way they act, but also the way they think. That's a part of the training. But what I want you to see is a major aspect of training is living as an example to the ones you're training. We see this in the in the indications of your of what God expects of a pastor in, in a church. Look down in verse 7 where Paul, we saw this last week, Paul says to Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In other words, Titus, you're the pastor of the church. You're going to teach, you're going to train the church how to live in good works. And you yourself are to be a model of those good works. So anyone who is training someone else is to be a model of what they're teaching, right? That seems obvious to me. So the point is, that it's not that the older women are just supposed to live like the things in verse three and the younger women are supposed to live like the things in verses four and five. The older women, because they're training the younger women to do the things in verses four and five, that means they also should be living out those things in their life. So when we look at what's being taught and trained to the younger women, we're also looking at what the older women ought to do themselves, okay? So... What is it that they train them to do? Number one, he says, to love their husbands. To love their husbands. Now, that's one word in the original language. Philandrus. It's a combination of two words. Phila and Andrus, you, you, you would recognize that because I know you've heard the explanation of the word Philadelphia is brotherly love. Phila, love, Delphos, brother. So here we have Phila, Andrus, which is love, husband, husband, lover. And one of the interesting things about this word is it was a very common word that was used in the epitaphs or the obituaries of women in that day who were known for the way they loved their husbands. It's almost as if you, you, if you did it like we do it in our time today, that, that a woman would have on her tombstone, Philandrus, she was a husband lover. And Paul says, teach these young women to love their husbands. Now, let me say, before somebody comes up after the service and says, well, you just talked to all these married women, you, you forgot about us single women, I'm sorry, I'm not forgetting about you single women. I don't at all, but this is what God's teaching here, okay? I'm just teaching this. But I will say this to the single women. You need to be learning these things so that if and when the time comes for, for you to be married, you'll live them out as the scripture says to live them out. So teach them to love their husbands. What does the Bible say about how a woman loves her husband. I'm going to suggest three things, and there, there's, there are many, many others, but I'm going to suggest three things, ladies, for how the scripture talks about loving your husband. Number one, a wife should be a completer, not contentious. 
a completer, not contentious to her husband. In other words, you're called to complete your husband, not to contend with your husband. Okay. That's what the scripture says. If we look at Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now the language there is the word helper is literally just the word help. I will make him a help. And then the fit for is corresponding to him. <coughs> and the, the description is giving there is, is something that comes to mind. If you'll think back to your high school geometry class, back in those days where you studied shapes and all those things, you remember we had this thing called complementary triangles. Two triangles that were complementary were triangles that when you put them together, the angles, angles added up to 90 degrees. So if you had a, a, two triangles, one, this triangle, then this one, this one be the complement to that triangle or the completer, it gets it to 90 degrees. That's the picture that's being used here in Genesis 2.18. A wife is called to be a completer to her husband. And what do I mean when I say not contentious? Well, the Bible has a whole lot to say about that. Ladies, be prepared for this. Proverbs 20, 19 says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. By the way, men, I meant to say, it's probably not good at any point for you to shout amen. Uh, <laughs> during this sermon. Okay. Um, that might give something away. Proverbs 27, 15, Con a constant dripping on a day of rain, of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. Wow. How more descriptive could you be there? Nagging contention is <laughs> like a leaky faucet. That's what Proverbs is saying. So ladies, don't be that way. Be a completer to your husband. And, and that, that compliment, remember that's with an E, not with an I. Compliment, complete him. It doesn't mean you're constantly complimenting him about how wonderful he is and, you know, you great big hunk of man, you kind of thing, you know. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about completing him as two people becoming one. Second thing, be a blessing and not a curse. To your husband. Be a blessing and not a curse. Proverbs 31 10 through 12. An excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And then back in chapter 12 of Proverbs, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Ladies, the way you love your husband is that your, your life is to be a blessing to him, not a curse to him. The third thing that I would suggest from the scripture is give your husband respect, not ridicule. Respect, not ridicule. Ephesians chapter five, verse 33. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now somebody's sitting here and saying, well, he doesn't deserve my respect. Maybe not, but that's not the issue. He may not deserve it, but you need to give it. 
Because that's what God is saying to you ladies to do, is to respect your husband. I remember just a personal example of something I experienced in my life. Back when I was in seminary, I had a job uh, at at a federal records deposit center, and there were lots of people who worked there, and we, we all took our break at the same time. I finally got to the point where I quit going to the break room. Because the number of women who worked there greatly outnumbered the, the number of guys. And it got to the point in the break room, it seemed to me that all that ever happened during that 15 or 20 minute break was these women would sit around and badmouth their husbands. It was so discouraging. I was a young seminary student, <laughs> you know, hoping to get married. And, uh, and that's all I heard at work. So finally, I just quit going into the break room. I'd go sit somewhere else behind the boxes or something or find a friend to talk to or that sort of thing. Ladies, respect your husbands. Don't ridicule your husbands. And that's especially true when your husband's not around. When he's not around. Talk respectfully about him. So love their husbands. Train them to, the, to love their husbands. And then he uses another one word thing that says to love their children. The word here is, just like philandrus for husband lover, is philotechnos. Technos children, it's child lover or children lover. And that's what a mom is called to do. I, I know I've heard, I've heard women say through the years, Something to the effect that if I could just be done with all these household chores and raising these children, then I can really serve the Lord. Ladies, I would beg you today to realize, you moms, to realize there is no greater way to serve God than to be a godly mother to your family, to love your children. How do you love them? Some of the ways the Bible talks about a mother loves her children. Number one is you teach them. You teach them. Proverbs again. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 6, my son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart and tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you are awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. We see this exemplified for us in the life of young Timothy, the pastor uh, at Ephesus. Uh, Turn back to the left just a couple of pages there to 2 Timothy chapter 1. (coughs) Excuse me, chapter 3, verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is encouraging to keep, for him to keep on in the faith and the gospel, what he's been taught of the scriptures. And he says in verse 14, knowing from whom, from whom you learned it. The word whom there is a plural, not singular. So from whom did Timothy learned these things. We go back to chapter one, verse five, where Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith and a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Paul had not only a mom who was loving him and teaching him, but a grandmother who was loving him and teaching them. What a wonderful role, by the way, for you grandmothers to be a teacher of your grandchildren about the things of the Lord. 
So number one, how do you love your children? You teach them. Number two, you comfort them. To me, this is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible, Isaiah 66, verse 13, where God says to his people, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Wow. God himself compares his comforting of his people to the loving comfort that a mother gives to her children. Another way to love your children, ladies, is to care for them. Again, Proverbs 31, she rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She cares for her children. So we are to train the lady, the older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. Then he says, train them also to be self-controlled, self-controlled. We've seen this word before. The older men were called on to be self-controlled. The younger men were called on to be self-controlled. It's interesting that the only of these five groups that we're going to look at here, uh, the only ones not called to be self-controlled are the older women. But I would suggest that that idea of being self-controlled is inherent in what was said to the older women when, it was, when they were called to be reverent in behavior and not malicious gossips and drunkards. <laughs> that takes a measure of self-control. So the next thing that Paul says to Titus is to have these women teach them and train them to be pure. The younger women to be pure. That means to be chaste in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions. It's not, I don't think there's a lot that needs to be said about that, but I'll just give you a statistic, and this actual statistic is a few years old, but it's one of the saddest statistics, and I know it's more now than it was then, but at the time, through surveys, it was found that 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. Now, I read a recent survey this week and the, the number for women had grown, had, had doubled more than that. Watching porn. Teach the young women to be pure. One of the saddest things about, about, about the... When you talk about women, men and women, you know, in our nation, the equality movement for women, which is a wonderful thing. Men and women are equal in every way. But, but a sad side part of that is that in something like this, women are becoming more equal with men. Women are watching porn as much as men. That's so sad. So the Bible says to be pure. Be pure in your thoughts. Be pure in what you look at. Be pure in your words. Be pure in your actions. And then number five, what it says, train the young women, is to be working at home. And it's a combination, again, of two words, the word house and the word work, houseworker, homeworker. Now, let me just quickly say, <laughs> I know sometimes the tendency is, given your your situation or your state of mind, sometimes when you, there are words that trigger things and, and I don't, I, I don't want you, I don't want you to shut me down here. Okay. Because number one, I don't think Paul is addressing 
the 21st century question or issue about whether a mom ought to be a stay-at-home mom or not. I don't think that's not what he's addressing at all. The Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, if you go back to Proverbs chapter 31, and I would encourage all of you ladies to go back sometime today and read that whole chapter. It's such a beautiful description of, of a woman who fears the Lord. And it's just so beautiful. But that lady was amazing. It, the whole chapter is filled with how she works at home and takes care of her family. But then it talks about what she did outside the home. She was in real estate. She was in agriculture and she was in merchandising. <laughs> and then we go to the New Testament. Lydia, the first convert in Europe, was she was in merchandising herself. So all these are working outside the home. So this is not about working outside the home. This is about the fact that wives and mothers do work at home. I read a really interesting survey. And again, this is just a few years old. And so it would probably be a little, it'd be more than this today. Uh, done by a group called salary.com. Salary.com. That's a Massachusetts firm that's specializing, specializing, I can say this word, specializes in determining compensation. And what they found was that a stay-at-home mom averages 96.5 hours a week of work in the home. The company concluded the average mom works as facilities manager, CEO, laundry operator, computer operator, housekeeper, cook, daycare teacher, van driver, janitor, and psychologist. <laughs> and what they did was they calculated the median salaries for each position. Now remember, this is a few years old. The median salaries for each position and the number of hours worked at each during the week. And they came up with the average salary for what a stay-at-home mom does is $118,905 a year. Now, two things. That's a few years old. And number one, I don't think it was in San Francisco. <laughs> so just add a whole bunch to that. But now hear this. They didn't stop there. The survey included women who work outside the home and what they do at home. And it found that the average salary figure for a mother who works, who works outside the home and then comes home and does her, her working at home, the average salary for, salary for her would be $70,107 a year. And again, add a whole lot more for where you live. So the reality is all wives and mothers work at home. And, 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 and Paul is saying to Titus again, under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, that these young women need to learn how to work at home, how to be a home worker, how to nurture and care for their home. The next thing he says is teach them, train them to be kind. To be kind. You don't need me to explain to you what kindness is. Paul says in Ephesians, be ye kind to one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you, been kind to you. So we're to be kind to one another as God, as Jesus has been kind to us. The word literally means tender hearted. 
tender-hearted. Teach the young women, train the young women to be tender-hearted. And then finally he says, this is when Janet goes and warms up the car. The last thing he says, teach and train these young women to be submissive to their own husbands. He said the same thing in Ephesians. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Now, two things that's not saying. Number one, he's not saying that all women are to be submissive to all men. He didn't say that. He said, to your own husband. And the word is literally a military term. It means like, like military ranks, like general and colonel and major, and what, uh, to arrange under. It means to willingly and voluntarily submit yourself to the leadership in the home of your husband. The second thing it's not saying is, it's not saying that the husband is to be a dictator in the home. Men, let me just encourage you that you don't pay any attention to this verse. The verse for you is Ephesians 5.25 that says husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So our role in the home is to be sacrificial in our love for our wives, okay? So you just forget that you ever heard she's supposed to be submissive to you. The last thing that ought to happen is go home today and the husband looks at wife and says, see, I told you you're supposed to be submissive to me. Do you remember some of you are old enough, there was that old song, put another log on the fire. Does anybody remember that? No? Put another log on the fire, cook me up some bacon and beans and all these, giving all these orders to the wife of what to do in the home. That is not not what the Bible is saying. Here's what the Bible is saying, both in Ephesians, especially in Ephesians. The picture of the relationship between a husband and wife is the picture of a relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. Jesus sacrificially gave himself for the church and the church lovingly and willingly and voluntarily submits to Christ himself. And that's a picture that a Christian marriage puts before the world. Now, understand, it has absolutely nothing to do with saying that the woman in a marriage is supposed to deny her gifts and her abilities and her uniqueness and all of the qualities that are positive for her in order to submit herself to her husband. That is not the picture of Jesus in the church. In the church, we as the church submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Bible pictures that submission as a flourishing and an expression of the gifts and abilities that we have in him given to us by the grace of God. So the picture here is a woman who completes her husband, who submits herself to his leadership and joins with him in glorifying the Lord together in their marriage and showing that beautiful picture of Christ and his church to the world. One last time. One last time. Why? Why, ladies, are you supposed to live like this? That the word of God may not be 
reviled.